Welcome to the QAV podcast. My name is Cameron. This is a weekly investing podcast where I chat with my friend Tony. Tony's a very successful investor. He's been doing it for about 30 years. His returns on average are about double the market over that period of time. And he's able to get those returns because he developed a system of value investing that we call QAV, quality at value. How do you find good quality companies and how do you buy them at a discount to their intrinsic value? It's basically a scoring system. We look at the fundamentals of the companies and that's what we teach our club members. Uh, In terms of the podcast, we have a free episode each week, goes for about half an hour. That's what you're listening to now. We have a longer episode, usually goes for an hour to an hour and a half. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode. Anyway, let's get into this week's show. Three, two, one. Welcome back to QAV, episode 708, recording on the 20th of February, 2024. Tony Kynaston, what's going on, TK? Where have you been for the last week? Uh, In Sydney, but had three days in Wagga as well. Which was good, good fun catching up with Roddy and playing golf. How did you, how did you golf? And now go? we're good. Yeah, I tell you that story. I had the um, you know I had surgery on my eyes last year, cataract surgery, and got fitted with new glasses. And since then, haven't been able to hit a golf ball to save myself. And then went back to the optometrist well, I don't know, a month ago, and um, yeah, came to the conclusion that I shouldn't be wearing multifocals to play golf. I needed to have just straight distance vision glasses. So he made me up a, a pair. And I'm um, starting to become better again, which is good. I can see the ball clearly. Oh, that's good. Which is great. Mm. Made a difference? Made a big difference, yeah. Mm. Huge difference. Good stuff. Yeah, I, and I didn't even notice it. Like It was only when I sort of got so frustrated, I went to the driving range one day and just worked everything out from the from the basics. Right. You know. Here's how you grip it. Here's how you stand. Here's how you you know position the ball. Oh, hang on, I can't see that ball clearly, and I worked I worked it out. That, right, um, I wasn't focusing on the ball properly. Well, there you go. That's good. Yeah, and it's raining heavily here. We had a big lightning storm go through Sydney yesterday. A um, couple of well, I think one fatality and a couple of hospitalizations. Um, wow! But it was very spectacular from our place. Wow! Lightning all around yesterday. No good. Well, I hope that mm. doesn't uh, negatively affect on Taylor Swift's concert there tonight, or there'll be lots of very sad teenage girls. Oh, is it on tonight? Is it? I, don't, I think that's what it said in the news. It's coming up. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, now they'll be wet if it's on tonight because it's still raining. Hopefully it'll clear for them. I saw it in the Financial Review this morning. Even the Financial Review were talking about mm. Taylor Swift. Biggest thing to happen to the Australian economy this year is Taylor Swift coming <laughs> to the country. Speaking of the economy, mm. uh, let's talk about the market. Tony, jeez. I mean, it had a little bit of a slip last week, but then just uh, has been going kind of gangbusters since then. Um you know what? What's what's going on with the market, Tony? This why is it just so exuberant at the moment? Well, it seems like it's the, an exuberance because of reporting season. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but I sent you a link to an article uh, in the AFR about um, which was printed just before reporting season, and it um, 
4th of February, so the very start of reporting season. The headline reads, sell-off looms as strategists warn earnings to disappoint, is the headline. <laughs> um, the article starts off, investors will be left disappointed by a soft earnings season despite a rally that has pushed the local share market to all-time highs. That is the view of equity strategists whose earnings forecasts have slid more than 10%. The warning comes after the benchmark. S&P ASX 200 index rallied almost 2% last week as traders ramped up bets that the Reserve Bank may cut interest rates at least twice this year. And I've, I've got to be honest, I, I thought it would be a tough earnings season. And then almost straight away, the retailers started reporting, if, if not great results, then results that weren't as bad as their forecast, which was suggesting that um, the, there was still a bit of spending out there in the economy. And um, I think since then, there's been some really good uh, good re- uh, numbers being reported in general. I think we're usually there's this companies that report early in the season are the ones who are reporting good results and the ones that are coming be- between now and the end of the month might not be as good as they start to try and hide things. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, for example, we spoke about Nick Scarley and Maya last week, but uh, su- Super Retail Group also reported good earnings. Today, Macmillan Shakespeare had very good results and their shares were up 10%. And uh, I only know that because I own shares of Macmillan Shakespeare. Um, But just some of the highlights from that result, um, which I found interesting, was earnings per share was up 40% and dividend per share is up 30% roughly. Um, But they are maxing out their payout range. So uh, that either means that the dividend will go down next half or uh, they expect profit to rise next half enough to, to... Pay the same sort of dividend, but a smaller payout ratio. Um, so they had a good result. Uh, they called out that electric vehicles are now 40% of new innovated leases. So that is a real tailwind for the uh, car leasing companies, which MMS is one of. Um, yeah, so that was um, interesting. Interestingly enough, they reported negative operating cash flow, so that they may not be on the buy list going forward once those numbers hit. Um, the other interesting thing today was ANZ, uh, their their takeover got waved through on appeal. So um, that was big news. Uh, I think uh, Suncorp rose in value as a stock and ANZ went down about 2%. Mm. Largely, I think, because um, people have, uh, analysts have always been a little bit concerned about the ability to integrate Suncorp's bank into ANZ and whether the benefits that, that were called out will actually be there when they happen. Um, the cynic in me says that the CEO will now retire and leave integration to the next person because um, I know it'll be difficult. Uh, but, yeah, it's. Um, I think these kinds of good stories are driving the market up. And I think the other thing to note, uh, I sent you another article before we came on air today. This was, again, in um, a recent AFR, uh, February 11th, um, the headline is Qantas effect hangs over profit season as margins surprise. So given the fact that the strategists thought there was going to be a bad reporting season, a week later, there's articles about it being almost too good. And um, this article says investors love it when a company gets more profit out of every dollar that flows through its doors, but companies are not necessarily crying about it this year. Earnings margins are a big positive surprise for, for the reporting season to date. 
AGL, Energy, News Corp, Nick Scarley and Transurban all reported stronger than expected margins, extracting what's left from beaten up Australian consumers and running their own businesses harder to be leaner and meaner than expected. Qantas is unravelling soon after reporting a record profit hangs over earnings seasons, however. That profit margin surprise is good news for investors and sent share prices soaring, particularly at AGI and Nick Scarley. Nine of the 11 companies that reported last week saw their shares outperform the market and by 3% each on average, according to Macquarie's analysis of the first week. Uh, margin was a big factor in the top gainers, but making more money for investors by squeezing the lemon harder is not what it used to be, just ask Qantas Airways. Qantas spectacularly unraveled weeks after reporting a record profit for shareholders. The same things that fuel profits, higher prices, job cuts, a lack of competition also fuel customer backlash and regulatory scrutiny. So that's becoming the story of this profit reporting season as well. And it's it's going to be an issue uh, while ever the government's focused on reducing the cost of living and it starts to see big companies make good profits with that kind of backdrop, they're going to start focusing on on whether the companies are doing the right thing and what the government should be doing to regulate them harder. And we're seeing that with the supermarkets, where there's a, a review going on of their practices and whether they're um, treating farmers properly and offering the best deals to consumers. And I think that's going to be what's going to, you know, that's going to have to be what boards think about from these other companies going forwards. Is it's almost like if we make too much money during this time of cost of living uh, focus, um, do we invite the government to step in and regulate uh, our industries even more? Did you see- uh, Upside down well, Cam. <laughs> did you see the Brad Banducci kerfuffle this week? No, I didn't. I, I saw a little bit of the um, analysis, but I didn't actually see it happen. All oh, right. Yeah, Is he... that the Four Corners interview? Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> he got up and walked out of the Four Corners interview <laughs> after he said- like he made a crack. the The journalist had Angus Grigg had said something about Rod Sims's uh, take on what the supermarket chains are doing, and Ben Ducci made some sort of crack about Rod Sims having been retired, and things are a lot different these days. Competition's a lot different. The market's a lot different from when he did his big review in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. And Grigg said. He only retired like a year and a half ago. It's not like it was 20 years ago. <laughs> Things haven't changed that much. And then Banducci realised that he'd sort of stepped in it and tried to – he basically tried to get Greg to agree to edit what he said about Rod Sims out of the interview. And Greg said, oh, well, really? this, this is on the record, mate. No, we're leaving it no. in. And then he got up and he walked off and spoke with his PR oh, no. team for a bit. Then he did come back and sit down again. But uh, <laughs> he realised he'd – Stepped in it and uh, said something he regretted. Well, that's that's which a bit I've of a never, fumble for a which I've never done. Class I have to say, I've never. Yeah, we, we don't. We we just put this out straight. Straight. Together. We never. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going. I need to go and talk to my PR, <laughs> my lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Back well, I tell you, one company <laughs> whose uh, results didn't do well for its share price was Data Three. Tony, your. Uh, Deep dive not that long ago. Mm. They Good came book, out, yeah. they came out with their results. Um, here's their story in Yahoo Finance. One of the biggest stories of last week was how Data 3 Limited shares plunged 22% Ooh. in the week since its latest half yearly results. 
which were roughly, the revenue was roughly in line with analysts' forecasts, statutory earnings per share, beat expectations, being 3% higher than what analysts expected. The analysts typically update their forecasts at each earning report, and we can judge from their estimates whether their view of the company has changed, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the results were good, but uh, the share price dropped 22%, which was mm. uh, nasty. Um the consensus yeah, price I mean, target think- broadly unchanged at $8.05, with the analysts clearly implying that the forecast decline in earnings is not expected to have much of an impact on valuation, but the share price plunged 22% anyway. I can't really comment on that. I'm not that. I mean, I did the pulled pork on Data 3, and I did highlight the fact that it's appearing on our buy list, but it may not be. It's appearing on our buy list because of good prop calf, but it may not be the right sort of prop calf that we're interested in. Uh, because you know the diff- their prop cap for this company operating cash flow was basically the difference between what they bought from cust- what they sold to customers versus what they paid the suppliers. There's a lot of throughput going through uh, their books. It's not like um, they're manufacturing something, charging a big margin, and and getting sales from customers like a, a coffee shop analogy. Right, St- pretty standard yeah. for that kind of a business, though, right? It is, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. Anyway, they took a big hit. Oh, sorry. One one other decline I should fess up to as well is I, I talked about the anti-QAV stock portfolio a couple of weeks ago on the show, mm. and one of the stocks in that portfolio was ProMedicus, and they came out with results, and their share price has gone down a lot since then too, mm. So, which is always the risk, I think, with these sort of uh, growth at any cost customer, uh, uh, companies. Mm. They, if they disappoint, they can be beaten about pretty severely. Did you have to sell it? Did it break a, through a sell trigger? It didn't actually. It was one of those ones where the sell lines are well below, mm. you know what um, what it was, mm. and it's back to pretty much what I put it in the dummy portfolio as. So it's not a rule one either. Housel's little ideas, Tony. My idea from Housel, it's his idea this week, is Buridan's ass. A thirsty donkey <laughs> is placed exactly midway between two pails of water. It dies because it can't make a rational decision about which one to choose, a form of decision paralysis. I asked uh, my good friend ChatGPT to uh, explain this to me. He says, Buridon's ass is a philosophical paradox that illustrates the problem of indecision in a perfectly rational agent facing two equally good options. It's named after the French philosopher Jean Buridan, although, ironically, he never directly proposed this paradox. It's more a caricature of his ideas. The gist is this. you got a donkey that's as thirsty as a pub with no beer, and it finds itself smack bang in the middle of two identical buckets of water. Now, because the donkey's brain is wired to make perfectly rational decisions, it tries to choose the best option. But here's the kicker. The options are mirror images of each other. Equal distance, equal amount of water, equally tempting. So our poor donkey gets stuck in a mental loop, unable to decide which one to go for because neither option is rationally better than the other. The tragic end for the donkey, starving or dying of thirst, is a metaphor for decision paralysis when the fear of making the wrong choice leads to no choice being made at all. It's a poke at the idea that rationality alone can always guide us to the best decision. Sometimes life throws us into situations where logic's light doesn't shine quite so brightly, and indecision can be just as deadly as making a bad choice. 
Buridon's ass slaps us with a question. Is it always possible to make a perfectly rational decision? And it cheekily suggests that sometimes you've just got to pick a bucket and have a drink, mate. Analysis paralysis can be a real bugger, showing us that action, even based on a coin toss, can be better than standing still, especially when the stakes are high or you're just really thirsty. So true. I mean, I've witnessed a lot of paralysis by analysis in big corporates over the years, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that was put in a different way by one of my ex-bosses who said that um, an AFL game is more than just one kick. And he was talking about one of the people we worked with and how that person would always make sure they scored a goal because they would um, check the wind strength, pick up the grass and toss it, um, line the ball up, reline it, get the get the slide rule out and work out the trajectory of the ball and take a few practice kicks and then take a kick. But an AFL game has lots of kicks. You're better off just taking the, taking your best punt and moving on and doing it again in five minutes' time. And how do you think this applies to investing? I think it applies really well. I mean, we, we try and remove behavioural anomalies and impediments you know, that are hardwired into our brains from the investing process, and this is one of them. I don't know how many times I've sat down and said, oh, you know, my system is saying to buy X, Y, and Z stock, but, gee, I really like Apple or, you know, the Magnificent Seven. Well, what am I going to do? You know, you just got to put it aside and go with the system. And it's it, it the flip side to it is you don't beat yourself up if you got it wrong. Your system takes will self-correct. If you if you have to sell it because it went down ten percent, sell it, move on. Yeah, but it's almost you almost sort of start to worry about fear fear of failure that you'll get it wrong before you make the decision. Well, you know if you get it wrong, you can recover. Your system corrects for that, so just make a decision. Mm. Yeah, that's again. Have you done that, Cam? What? Have you done that? You, you know, the the QAV buy list says to buy, you know. XYZ stock, but you go, oh, do I really want to buy a television station or do I really want to buy, you know, News Corp or do I really want to buy this or that? And you start to second guess it and then nothing gets bought? No, because I'm not smart enough to <laughs> doubt the system. Like, uh, I do have those, like, I, there was a News Corp stock at some point or, I don't know, one of the TV stations or something, I can't remember. And I'm like, oh, radio station, Sky, mm. Sky Television, I think, SKT, is it Sky? Right. Yep, it is, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I, I have a gag reflex uh, <laughs> at the idea of buying it because, you know, whilst I still stick very firmly to my theory that Rupert is actually working for the KGB and he's a secret plant and his, his strategy since uh, – his university days has been to undo America and capitalism by rising to the top of it and corrupting it from within. That said, I still loathe uh, everything that he puts out, but... Uh, allegedly. Which bit, allegedly? That I loathe it? Or Your that hypothesis. Yeah, that's Your my hypothesis. hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, that's my, I still stick to that as, right. as making a lot of sense. But I bought it because I'm not smart enough uh, like, like yeah. it's the same at Kung Fu, man. Like if my seafood tells me to do something and well, I'm not going to question it, well, who am I to question what my seafood tells me? I just trust his 30 years of doing Kung Fu. He knows what he's talking about. I don't know shit. I just do it. Well, same with investing. Yeah. I follow the system. Well, look at, I mean, I, I can't speak for Daryl, but, you know, Daryl's 
given us the donkey problem, hasn't he? He's, he's got um, one foot in the was it Investmark camp and one foot in the QAV camp. Um, QAV is winning at the moment. I'd be interested to know what his thought process is about how he invests going forward. Hmm. Does he keep one foot in each camp? Does he not make a decision or does he decide to go with the best returns? Mm. Get back to us on that, Daryl. Daryl's a lot yeah. smarter than I am. But, yeah, no, I. that's one of the things that attracts me to QAV is it's just uh, it's a system. I don't need to think. I don't need mm. to get caught in uh, Buridan's ass. i got enough problems with my own ass getting in the way of things, you know, I just, <laughs> I, I like systems uh, that yeah. tell me what to do. Right. Um, you'll, just, be, you'll be really good when the AI takes over, Ken. Yes, just tell me what to do, yeah. AI. <laughs> what, what can I do for you? What am I doing today, AI? Yes, I already <laughs> asked it that. Um, <laughs> You're hey. trying to put in a good word for yourself. Listen, when Skynet launches, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm fully on board with our new AI overlords. Let me be the first to congratulate our new AI overlords and submit to them. You got a pull pork for us this week, TK? I do. I have AGL to talk about. Oh my god, this should be interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, with the whole what's his face at last double day, Jesus, double day, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> My According old friend, to, uh, Mr. Cannon Brooks, slept on yeah. his lounge, I have. All right. Well, off you go then. Someone else did too because he got divorced last year. Oh, well, <laughs> obviously she was sleeping in more places than just his lounge, yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Mm, allegedly. Allegedly. Yep. Uh, so talking about AGL, and the reason for talking about AGL is it popped up on our buy list this week after its results, and it um, we're at that stage in the – results season where not every stock on our buy list has the current numbers in there, but AGL does. So I thought I'd do a stock that had recent numbers. Uh, it, it isn't, however, a buy at the moment. In terms of sentiment, it's still a hold. So it's a, it's above its uh, uh, it's above its first buy line, if I call it that. The buy line follows the sell line line. It's below its sell line and it's below its second buy line. So it's a, it's a Josephine for us. But um, it, as I said before, the results uh, caused the share price to pop by 10%. So it's worth having a look at. Um, for people who don't know AGL, and I dare say there's not many, maybe the overseas listeners might not know it. It's um, AGL Energy is the full name for it. It's an integrated energy provider. And in this case, integrated means uh, it produces power through generators, um, both thermal coal-powered, coal but also, uh, also renewable generators. And it also then sells electricity and gas to retail customers and large businesses. And they also have some adjacent businesses selling broadband, mobile uh, spectrum, and solar-type products, solar panels uh, for your home and batteries, etc. cetera. Uh, they also have a division which trades uh, electricity prices and power contracts and hedges their own um power prices, uh, basically both to manage the price of the power that they generate, but also to um, make sure that they uh, are compliant with the government regulate, regulations and obligations on baseload energy and the like in Australia, uh, and and also to, um, to recirculate the renewable loads from rooftop solar, um, as an example. 
Uh, they invest in other renewable companies and they have stakes in companies like uh, ACTU, AGL Retail Partners, Tilt Renewables and Energy Impact Partners Europe. Uh, I guess what you were alluding to before, in May 22, May 2022, AGL proposed to demerge the coal power generation business from the retailing division. Uh, this plan required a 75% vote of shareholders, which was thwarted when Mike Cannon Brooks bought 11% of the company. I think he did that in partnership with Brookfield. Uh, in March, before that, before the, uh, the that particular vote in May 2022, Cannon Brooks also tried to buy AGL in partnership with Brookfield, um, and he offered $5.5 billion, which was rebuffed by the board. So um, he, he still has a 10% stake in the company. And he has been able to nominate four board members to the board. He doesn't sit as a director himself, but he has four nominees on the board. And his agenda is all about uh, getting out of the coal-powered fire stations earlier than what he thought AGL would do um, by them left, left to their own devices. And certainly before it would happen if they demerge those coal-powered fire stations. So that's the kind of corporate history background for it. It's um, uh, recent history. So the stock price rose 10% uh, when it um, reported its results. It swung to a profit of some uh, $576 million in the last half, uh, and it lost $1.1 billion in the first half of 2023. So it was quite a big swing. Um, they reported that higher electricity bills, better reliability, and at the two remaining coal power stations uh, and lower coal expenses were the main drivers of uh, profit profitability. And uh, that was, as I said before, I think that might start to um, cause some kind of government focus on their on their um, their it well, the industry going forward, but nothing's happening at the moment, but it is a risk, I think. Um, they also reported that rising prices come with an increase in bad debts, and that makes sense because AGL doesn't do any sort of credit checking on customers before they take out um, uh, contracts with, with AGL for supply. Uh, so it's different to a bank, um, which does a credit check before loaning you a mortgage or a credit card, for example. Um, so it's... It is really the fact that the bad debts are increasing is also highlighting this fact that they are making profits um, against the backdrop of increasing stress consumers and it may attract political consideration and political attention. So um, there's that. Um, to put AGL and its size into perspective, uh, it's the number two player in Australia in the energy market. Origin has about 27% market share. Um, energy, uh, sorry, AGL has about 22.5%. And Energy Australia about just under fifteen percent, uh, and then there's a lot of other small retailers operating in the space. So it's a it's a very large um, company. Um, it's got an interesting history, which I'll, I'll run through. I always find this in interesting myself. Uh, they go back to eighteen thirty seven when the Australian Gaslight Company was created by an act of the New South Wales Parliament. And in 1841, AGL lit the first gas lamp in Sydney. Wow. And yeah, 
in the 1850s, soon after that, AGL had enough gas lights in the uh, in the city to be able to power the first uh, late night shopping in Sydney. Uh, in 1857, AGL introduced gas purification, making gas safe to use in homes, and they started connecting up homes to the gas supply. And in 1871, AGL became the second company to list on the Sydney Stock Exchange. So it went from being government-owned to being the second company to list way back in 1871. Hmm. In the 1890s, gas stoves were uh, available to be sold or rented in Australia for the first time. Uh a lot didn't change in the next sort of 80-odd years. Um, the big sort of highlight uh, for me after that was in 1976 when natural gas was introduced into Sydney via a pipeline from South Australia. And um, that was a big change. That was a big change when I was a kid that natural gas through direct pipelines from um, reserves in Australia started to be fed into homes. And natural gas was important, of course, because um, uh, not so much in Australia, but particularly in places like England, the gas that they were using uh, could kill you. So people would, you know, decide to suicide by closing all the windows and turning on the gas stove and opening the door, um, whereas natural gas uh, eliminated that kind of um, problem from, from homes. Uh, 1998 saw the first solar power station commissioned by AGL at a place called Willpend Pound at the Flinders Ranges. 2005, they purchased a company called Southern Hydro, and it's um, obvious what they do. 2006, the company AGL merged, merged with Alinta to become AGL Energy. And in 2009, they opened a, uh, the Bogong Hydro Station, which operates in Victoria. 2012, they acquired the Loyang A Power Station and the adjacent Loyang Coal Mine. 2013, the largest wind farm in the Southern Hemisphere opened. Um, it's called MacArthur Wind Farm, and it's 50% owned by AGL. 2014, AGL bought Bayswater and the Dell Power Stations in New South Wales, um, both coal-powered. And since that time, they've bought, had many other purchases and acquisitions, um, particularly in renewable and gas, including the Newcastle Gas Storage Facility, Ninjin and Broken Hill Solar Plants, Barker Inlet Power Station in South Australia, and the Silverton and Cooper's Gap wind farms. So quite a storied history. Um, I guess a, a, a history of innovation, or you know, oftentimes the first company to do things in Australia, whether it was lighting lights or bringing natural gas to homes or um, getting big into renewables. So um, that was a that's a big thing for them. Uh, and I think that will, will stead them in... in Good stead going forward as they do manage have to manage this transition away from uh, thermal powered energy into um, into more renewable types of energy. Running through the numbers, um, this is a large company, so the ADT is nearly twenty million dollars per day, which is very large, and will suit all our listeners. Uh, the share price I'm doing the analysis at is eight dollars sixty three, and that price is more than IV one but less than IV two. IV1 being 659, IV2 being 1072. Uh, but the 863, their share price is less than the consensus target. It's, this company's got a good yield of 5.68%, but not um, quite high enough to score with us. We need it to be above 6.8, which is the current average mortgage rate. Stock Doctor Financial Health is strong and recovering, and we certainly like recovering companies, so we scored an extra point for that. 
having a recovering trend. PE is 6.71, which is not the highest or the lowest over the last three years, so we can't score it for that. Very good prop cap at the moment, 3.48 times. So um, that's that's right in our sweet spot. Uh, net equity per share is $8.17. So uh, that's just a little bit below the share price, but certainly you can buy this for less than book plus 30%. But again, I'll highlight the fact that um, net equity per share is $8.17, but NTA is $3.46. So obviously all the acquisitions have an element of goodwill, which is sitting on the balance sheet. And um, I'll leave that with listeners. I, I do focus on net equity per share and look to buy things at, at that book value, but you are paying for some goodwill uh, accumulated with the company. Uh, forecast earnings per share is not good. It's, it's forecast to drop 14%, so we score at uh, a negative one for that. Um, we don't have an owner-founder, obviously, and uh, because it's it's you know, 100 and nearly 200 years old, 150 years old, this company. So we can't um, we can't score it for that. And as I said before, Mike Cannon-Brooks, who owns 10% of the company, doesn't sit on the board, but he does have four nominees. So uh, I'm not going to score it for that. So it doesn't get known to founder score. Uh, equity uh, has not been consistently increasing on the balance sheet, so we can't score it for that. So all in all, the quality uh, score for this company is 9 out of 16 which is 60%, and the QAV score is 0.17, which isn't too bad for a big company like this. Uh, if I can run through some risks that I see, and I guess some positives for it, um, I think, uh, yeah, the the risk that we I spoke about before has to be called out that there, there could be a government focus on the profitability of this company if, um, if the government feels that it uh, has been putting up its electricity bills higher than what it should, um, given the government's focused on the cost of living. So that might be an issue for them. But, but it, that's a, I guess that's a watch to space. And I know that as a board, they'll be they'll be trying to manage their way through that. Uh, I, th- I think um, another risk, uh, people will have read about a lot of the risks I'm going to talk about, but I'll just highlight them. A big one is going to be in transiting to the renewables sector. Uh, it does involve um, the the building of uh, new transmission lines and, and a, a different sort of grid to what we have under the current arrangements. And you know, they some of those um, will have to traverse across farmlands or other areas, and that could be a, a problem. Um, both in terms of, and it's all sorts of problems with that, not just from people who don't want those things going through their properties, but also, um, as we've seen in the recent storms in Victoria, above ground power lines can lead to um, outages. They, they can be blown over in strong winds or or um, suffer during bushfires. And um, but that is still the cheapest way of doing it, rather than putting the lines underground. But if there is, if if companies like this are forced to put the bill for underground power lines, and that's going to be a huge cost um, and a huge headwind for them to try and uh, get over. Uh, likewise with wind farms, not just with transmission lines, but um, there is resistance to wind farms both onshore and offshore. So that's something that has to be managed through. Um, it's it's. Not hard to imagine how difficult it must be trying to manage the baseload management and profitability in this transition period where um, they're obliged to take output from solar panels on people's roofs um, and put that into the grid and try and um, keep their coal-fired power stations operating profitably uh, and ramping them up and ramping them down to take into account what's going on with the solar panels. So that's a very difficult um, transition for them. 
Uh, Victoria, the state of Victoria recently banned gas from being put into new homes as their way of trying to um, fight climate change. So uh, there could be limits on the gas market for this company going forward and, and people will have their own opinions about whether that's good or bad, but it's, it's, um, it's happening, so we have to take it into account. And then the, there's the internal risk uh, on the on the board if there are four directors pushing for the closure of coal plants early. Um, you know, that, that will be a, an issue the company will have to manage um, solving for that whilst maintaining profit for shareholders. So um, a few things going on there. I guess on the positive sides, they're, they're a very large company with a um, number two player market share. So that's got to count for something and give them sort of financial strength to be able to to resist um, times when they the halves when they may not make money. Um, and as I said before, they do have a um, a culture of engineering and engin- innovation, and that's got to help them when they're transiting to renewables because oftentimes these things are solving from first principles. Um, so that's got to count for them as well. Um, and they have been, um, without the pushing of Mike Cannon Brooks, already been getting into renewables, and and um, you know they um, have been uh, a pioneer of batteries and virtual batteries in Australia as well, for example. So they know a fair bit about uh, renewables and the the strengths and weaknesses of that. So yeah, that's AGL. It's on the buy list, not quite a buy yet for sentiment, but um, people who need ADT stocks could have a look at it. Thank you, Tony. Did you say that natural gas isn't uh, a, a risk for suffocation? I didn't think so. Was it LP? Is it LPG that's not, or is it natural gas? I can't remember which one. No, well, I did say natural gas wasn't. So, you saying it is? Oh, right, look, I'm definitely uh, unlike every other topic. I'm not an expert on this. Uh, <laughs> my understanding was it was methane and. It is a risk for suffocation if you don't have the right ventilation, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I'll take it back. But there was there was some change at the time. I remember when it came in, people were, you know, pushing it because it was um, less chance of uh, suffocation. Hmm. My understanding is that's why it smells like rotten eggs, which is something they is introduced into the gas because methane naturally has no smell. So they right. make it smell like rotten eggs. Um, called something called mercaptan is introduced to it to um, give it that. It's a warning smell, basically. If you can, okay. if you can smell it, you know, gas is leaking somewhere. Chrissy's got a good story. When she uh, was young, you know, late teens, twenty nineteen twenty, where she was working for a hotel, like a, a, a an accommodation hotel in Cedar City in Utah her hometown, on reception, and started getting headaches and realised that there was a gas leak in the building and spoke Mm -hmm. to the manager uh, about it several times and he just nothing got done. So she ended up going to the government health safety ombudsman, whatever they call it over there, and filing a complaint that they were putting their employees at risk and Got it. Got him into a lot of trouble uh, for not addressing this. It was like it was. She was having headaches, and you know, other staff were as well from this gas that was wow. pumped in, and they were just like, "Ah, shut up, get back to work." And, um, anywho, wow. And I, I'm just trying to remember what the gas was too. But in Canada, when we lived there, unfortunately, you would hear about people who had gone out into the snow and were staying in an old cabin, and they had um, an old style heater in there, and they died during the night. Mm. 
from from methane poisoning. Mm. Mm. It's kind of amazing to me that we're still using Ooh. so much gas in 2024. Like it's, it just seems like such a primitive pre 20th century technology. Lighting. You talk about gaslighting and that kind of stuff. Now, mm. if somebody's gaslighting you, it's a bad thing. Back then, it was state of the art technology. Now it's. You know, it's yeah. considered uh, morally, ethically dubious. Anywho, thank you for that. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au look for the um, free trial button there and if you like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself think about signing up for QAV Lite that's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week and then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.